You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time, we hope. Uh, took another week off during the course of the summer, a little vacation time. But uh, we are ready and raring to go. A lot going on uh, as we record here on Friday afternoon. Had a game last night, the Hall of Fame game. Uh, Browns and the Jets, a lot of storylines around both. Uh, so we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, some chirping going on during camp uh, by now. Uh, again, unless you've been living under a rock, uh, the Sean Payton comments in the uh, USA Today, Jarrett Bell uh, story. <laughs> he kind of called out last year's coaching staff. Uh, the, he called out his, his general manager, who, by the way, is still there. The team president, who, by the way, is still there. So that, that was kind of neat. Rogers retort uh, because he called out Hackett and uh, Ursay talking about the NFL and marching on. And, you know, we don't have to pay whatever. We got some holdouts and then also some big college football news. So we'll get into all that. But uh, first, let me bring in Alex here. And uh, I don't know, man, uh, for, for for an early uh, summer show, there's a lot going on. Yeah, it's uh, obviously training camp is is going on. Like you mentioned, we're right in the middle of things, you know, like everything has gotten started and, you know, everything is kind of flying at full speed. I was I was impressed with a couple of quarterbacks during preseason game between the Browns and the Jets. And we could talk about that because it seems like Aaron Rodgers is probably having a positive effect on you know, the third-year quarterback, Zach Wilson. He just looks like a completely different dude. I mean, it's like, I don't know if it was the darkness retreat or whatever, but he kind of came out of there, and I think he just kind of realized, you know, I'm going to be making a move. I'm going to be changing kind of the way I approach things. He just seems like he's very happy. He's embraced that role as the mentor taken like, Hey, you know, I didn't work with these rookies in green Bay. I'm going to have to change that. I'm going to have to just embrace this thing. And, and I guess the other positive thing or what he really, I think was a big selling point to him was having Hackett there and, having a very strong influence on what gets installed, what plays they run. And, and it just seems that he's just done an, an amazing about face. And, you know, we talked, obviously we talked a lot about it, you know, as the move was happening, but kind of the way it's playing out, I'd be shocked if he doesn't play at least two seasons and potentially, I mean, if his body is still feeling good, a third, potentially even a fourth, you know, if again, his, his body's right and they can protect him. So from that perspective, I think this is going to be a godsend for Zach Wilson. They're about to write him off, but I think if he has this Aaron Rodgers to learn from, to watch, to figure out how to be a pro, how to talk to the media, how to relate to his uh, his teammates. This could be, 
a savior for Zach Wilson in New York moving forward. Again, if they're able to keep him around, because again, money is going to gauge a lot of this and depending on how much Aaron stays. Um, now, again, it was the Hall of Fame first preseason game. These guys are playing against a bunch of guys that may or may not be around, but he looked a hell of a lot more comfortable, meaning Zach Wilson. Uh, he had one deep pass, one go ball down the sideline that he, you know, perfect throw, great catch. I mean, so not like all of a sudden everything is okay and he's fixed, but I just think the new Aaron Rodgers, the whole, this whole attitude adjustment that he's had and uh, being able to work with this young quarterback is, is I think, also making him feel a little bit younger to, to kind of coach him along. You can see it on the sideline. He's wearing the headsets, making calls, talking to the offensive coordinator. So that was really cool to see. And then, of course, I don't, I'm not surprised. I, we talked about him leading up to the draft. DTR is – he's a player. I mean, he's got – I mean, I don't know if he's at the same level athletically as a Kyler Murray, but he has a lot of he has a lot of similar skills. Not the biggest guy, but a little bit bigger, maybe not quite as twitchy, but pretty damn twitchy. Uh, Maybe the throwing arm talent isn't as great, but I think where DTR is different is the intangibles. The fact that he played for Chip Kelly, say whatever you want about Chip Kelly, whatever. But, you know, the preparation of being uh, a pro in college and ready to rock and roll. Now, again, it's one half of football. It's again, against guys that may not be in the league very long, or, you know, might be practice squad players or whatever. Uh, But he didn't disappoint, went out there, did his thing. And I I'm here for it. I think Cleveland may have a diamond in the rough here. And uh, he's, he's, He's going to be something. I, I really like him. I know you always talked him up before the NFL draft. I mean, that was your guy, Dorian Thompson Robinson, coming out of UCLA. And you were surprised that he lasted to like the fifth round before the Cleveland Browns picked him up. And now he's got, what, Deshaun Watson. He's got Kellen Mond, who also looked pretty good. He's a former third-round pick who the Vikings decided to get rid of fairly quickly. And now he's here, and he looks like he's going to be the backup to Deshaun Watson. So DTR is a third-string quarterback. So he's probably he might be a guy that the well, Cleveland well, is additioning for some other teams in a couple of years. You know? Yeah. Well, they've got Josh Josh Dobbs too that didn't play last night. So that kind of tells me right now it it may be Watson Dobbs and then Mond and DTR fighting for that third spot. But I don't. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that could be it. If Watson works out the way they expect him to, then, you know, he's going to be that that guy that's like a backup and that kind of flashes during preseasons and so forth. And they can use him as like a trade chip. But, um, yeah, I just uh, it, it just I was surprised because they talked about all the, the top guys. But it was like he wasn't even like d- leading up to the draft, the top the top quarterback uh, prospects, but they never had him in there. And again, it comes back to this, you know, you know, I'm sure there's there pl- these guys are scouted inside and out and so forth. But it, from a media perspective, from a fan perspective, you don't see him that much because, again, 
from an East Coast standpoint because they're playing a lot of their games on the West Coast. And you've heard me a million times, <laughs> like some of my favorite football always to watch was late at night. And it, typically they're the West Coast games, whether it was UCLA, USC, anybody, any, any Pac-12, which, you know, we'll get to in a bit. I don't know if the Pac-12 is going to be in existence much longer after this season. But uh, anyway, uh, love DTR. And I hope uh, I hope he gets he gets a real opportunity to show his thing during the course of this preseason. And uh, he develops. Yeah, I think it, it was it was really cool. Now, a lot of other players flashed that uh, Will McDonald, the fourth, uh, looks like, you know, he's twitchy, freaky athlete. So and again, he's not going up against great left tackles yet. So uh, let's not get too carried away. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was just nice to have football back and to see, you know, this kind of rejuvenated Aaron Rodgers in New York. Uh, what's Cleveland going to be? Are they, you know, are they going to step? Are they going to step up because of all the talent? I mean, they put out this list of guys that weren't dressing for the Browns and you go up and down like, my God, I mean, they got a really good roster. So if Deshaun Watson can kind of, even get back to close to what he was back in Houston, this, this could be a formidable team. That AFC North is, is going to be no joke. That's, that's going to, it's no cakewalk for Cincinnati. I'll do respect to them and how good they are and what they've done the last few seasons. Lamar coming back. I think Pittsburgh is going to be one of those teams that I wouldn't be shocked if they made the playoffs. So uh, that's going to be a, a tough division, as well as the AFC East that the Jets will be playing in. So uh, the AFC is going to be a, a tough uh, dogfight all the way across because, you know, you start listing those seven playoff teams and then you're looking like, oh, my God, I'm leaving this team off, this team, off, this quarterback, that, that quarterback. So it, I'm just excited. I guess you can tell by now. I'm just rambling because I'm just excited to see real football being played. Coaches are in the news, Lou. I mean, they're just uh, they're going back and forth here, and the season hasn't even started yet. Yeah, some definite definite chirping out there from uh, from our man, uh, our man Peyton out of, out of Denver. Um, I guess. And I don't know. He comes out. I mean, he makes those comments. I mean, he kind of kind of scorched earth on anybody that had anything to do with the Broncos last year. And I can see, you know, he's a Parcells guy, you know, always using the psychology and using different the media to kind of, you know, prop his team up, his players up. And I can see what he's doing for Russ. But in the meantime, there was so many strays being shot. Uh, Hackett you know, took the, took the brunt of it, but he also called, I mean, he calls out his own front office. That's still there that he works for them. So I don't know how that is playing in the building, but I can see where he's kind of one showing his team that he's got their back and that it wasn't all Russell's fault. And Russell still got plenty in the tank and we're going to do things a different way here and, and kind of setting his team up to just kind of say, okay, Coach Payton here, he's been around the block. He's won a Super Bowl, a lot, a lot of success in New Orleans, a lot of playoff appearances. This is different. And, you know, just the, the words that he used and, you know, is there a coach's code? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, coaches typically don't call each other out. They know how difficult the job is. But, you know, in this particular case, I think, and again, he said it at 
the next day or whatever, you know, that he, maybe he took it a little too far, you know, wearing his Fox hat. I mean, if he would have said that something, if he would have said a lot of this stuff on Fox last year, it would have been great television, right? But he saved it for this. And uh, that was, uh, it was pretty wild. Uh, and then obviously, you know, Rogers is kind of asked about it and, kind of ended that little rant about how what a great guy Hackett is and everything else. Like, keep my coach's name out of your mouth. So that week five matchup with uh, the Jets going to Denver is all of a sudden taken on a whole different perspective. And that late window game might uh, might be a little little surlier than, than uh, would initially have. Been. Well, there's definitely like a, a coach's code you know, around the league, and I agree with that. I agree with that with Hackett on that. But, you know, Peyton is trying to pump up his quarterback, Russell Wilson. He's trying to say that it wasn't all on him. Why is everyone focusing on him having a bad season? He had a bad offensive line. He didn't have good, a good coaching staff that was able to get the plays in. So he's almost like, you know, raising the the stock for Russell Wilson. He's just basically saying that forget about last season. We're going to focus on 2023. And what he said about Hackett, is he wrong, Lou? I mean, for like two or three weeks, we talked about Nathaniel Hackett not being able to get the plays in. You know, they were like so bad in like pre-penalties, those offsides. They couldn't get the plays in to Russell Wilson. I mean, he was just, his crowd, the Denver Broncos fans were booing him through the first two or three games of the season because he couldn't get that stuff right. So I'm not, Peyton isn't wrong here. I mean, Hackett did no, a horrible job. Not. I mean, Denver Broncos had a good defense. They had Russell Wilson. They had playmakers and, and they couldn't win games. So I don't think Peyton is, you know, he's, Peyton is almost being Mr. Obvious. He's reminding everyone that how bad the team really was with all these talented players around and that he's not going to be around for it. A lot of the players are still the same. So I'm sure Peyton is going to get the most of Russell Wilson and he's going to get, you know, a better offensive performance from the team. So what I'm saying is he wasn't wrong about Hackett and he's trying to defend his quarterback, Russell Wilson, in this case. Yeah, I mean, no lies told. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, you said, like, Captain Obvious here. We, everybody knows that it was just, you know, he was in over his skis. It didn't quite, I mean, it obviously didn't go the way he expected. I, I think everybody uh, expected he he was going to be coaching Aaron Rodgers in that spot, but it wasn't. And it was just abject failure, and it was yeah, just just ugly. I, I think just I guess the story here is the fact that again, I mean, if there is a code or whatever calling out the previous regime, it almost looks like you know he's trying to wash wash his hands of any wrongdoing because well, geez, now I'm here and I've inherited this mess. But I don't think that I don't think that was his his goal either. Like I said, I mean, this is a Parcells guy, and a lot of I mean, younger younger listeners or whatever, you know, may not know the inner workings of Coach Parcells and how he prodded and and so, some things that he would use. And he, you know, Sean Payton grew up under Bill Parcells, so a, a lot of these lessons is what it comes in. Like for Parcells, I mean, sometimes a little chaos is good. 
so anyway, I mean, that, that's kind of where, where that went. So everybody's kind of, you know, been on alert now. So that all of a sudden, like I said, that week five game is going to be a, you know, a little bit more interesting. Uh, and then you got the the owner of the Colts, Jim Mersey, that's just a, a national treasure. I mean, some of the stuff that he says, tweets out is just priceless. And you don't necessarily want, uh, you know, your owner doing these things or saying these things, but it's just, it, it, he's just an amazing guy. Very eclectic. I mean, he's into a lot of different things. He's a musician. He collects great, you know, these, these rock and roll artifacts and uh, old, you know, from, from, from previous wars, collectibles and whatever. I mean, he's, he's just a, a different guy. I mean, artist, the whole thing, but you know, they're having a bit of an issue with their young running back and Jonathan Taylor, and they put him on the PUP list and uh, then Taylor, and then, you know, they're almost like negotiating it on social media where Taylor says, there's nothing wrong with my back. I'm fine. I can play. And they're saying, you know, because he's kind of holding out, well, let's put him on this list and kind of like bury bury the story here but anyway i mean he's sitting there again one of these running backs he's on his rookie deal he's not going to get probably not going to get paid again a big payday uh anytime soon i mean he's probably looking at maybe like a, a saquon deal at some point but uh so he demands a trade and ursay's quote it was just hilarious. And again, it's kind of taken out of context, but he just basically says, like, if I die or, or JT dies tomorrow, the NFL will go on. You know, there's no there's nothing to stop in this train from rolling. And uh, again, I mean, it's just not, you know, not the way I guess you want to negotiate with arguably your best player. Uh, but again, he's in that running back squeeze that, you know, we've been talking about probably for the last couple of years and it's going to be tough for him to get paid. And then, you know, another story comes out. And again, this just speaks to, you know, how Ursay thinks is supposedly he's paying $20 million to transport this orca from Miami back to the Pacific Northwest in Puget Sound, where the the, the killer whales the pod is. It's this 15-acre uh netted area that they just kind of live in and so okay well he has no problem paying 20 million for that but you know his best player and eh, we'll see so just i just thought that was kind of comical and just ursay is just uh he's just a treasure and he's almost like jerry jo trying to be jerry jones but without the super bowl wins and that kind of doesn't quite work he's in indianapolis and jerry's in dallas but uh you know it's like he's almost become the the face of the franchise instead of you know one of the, one of his players so i don't know i just thought that was funny well he did win a super bowl with peyton manning so i mean they they got one right there with the colts they did get one with you know and he kind of they kind of ran uh you know uh, luck out of there they never really protected him the guy the kid arguably i mean they almost did the 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 far rogers thing where they had manning and we're going to go to to luck and wow and it just they never really spent any money on the offensive line and luck ended up retiring early and, and they got again out of two hate to use this term, but two generational talents at quarterback back-to-back, -back, and they got one Super Bowl. Well, Ursay did say that he 
didn't mean to offend Jonathan Taylor. Like the comment wasn't directed no, at him. No, no. But after no, that, I don't think so. But just in context, the fact that the kid is like looking for a new deal, it just didn't sound good. And obviously, after that, Jonathan Taylor requested a trade, and Ursay went on yeah. to say that we're not trading him. Not now. Not in October. You know, obviously that could nah, change, but uh, he's on his rookie deal and it doesn't sound like the Colts want to pay him. Like they're far off from uh, his agent and the organization are far off from, you know, what Jonathan Taylor deserves. And I don't think the Colts are going to pay him. So uh, I don't anticipate Indianapolis being very good this year. So say they're like two and six in October. Wouldn't they want to trade Jonathan Taylor because he's their best player and you want to get something in a return for him? He was drafted in the second round, so he wasn't a first-round pick. I would say this story is... It, it, we're going to monitor this story just because I don't think he's going to be getting a new deal. He is, what, 24 years old, and uh, I just I, I think he's going to be the biggest trading chip that the Colts have come October. Well, you look at you know what the Giants are doing with Saquon. Now he, they did bring him back, and Saquon, I think, probably met them more than halfway on this you know new one year deal. But that's kind of what every uh, young running back has kind of got to look forward to. Now, obviously, Saquon was a top ten pick, top five pick. Uh, you know, so that's a little bit. So I'm sure his first contract was much bigger. And Jonathan Taylor doesn't have the fifth-year option, so he's kind of – it's like now or never for him almost to to get that second deal. And I don't know, from the front office standpoint, you just look at the previous deals and kind of the way the position is going, and it doesn't make any sense for them really to extend him to a big – to big contract and you hate to see that because he is such a talent and so is Saquon and so is Josh Jacobs and a lot of these guys and he's just caught in that squeeze so anyway I mean a couple of holdouts that are they're flying under the radar it seems like because maybe some other stories that are happening and maybe in their in their specific markets probably not so much but two of the best defensive linemen in football are holding out from camp, Nick Bosa, Chris Jones. Uh, I'm sure they're both looking for a, about the same money. I'm sure they're looking at a number that is well north of 27, 28 million average per year. Uh, you're looking at Aaron Donald that just kind of the way his contract and again, I would imagine they're negotiating that that's an outlier, but I'm sure both these guys are looking at minimum 28 average per year and probably a lot closer to 30. Now, again, you structure in different ways. As long as they get their money, they don't care how it, you know how they get it. It's just you can structure it that's team friendly in some way using the salary cap and signing bonuses and, and everything else. But these, I mean, again, you just from a national media perspective, you just haven't heard a whole lot. Again, I'm sure in San Francisco, Santa Clara, Kansas City, you know, St. Joe's, as far as where they where they train, it's it is being talked about. But it, but you're really not hearing a whole lot. And these are two premier players, probably top 10 or 12, 15 probably top 12 players in the league at their respective position group. They're 
arguably number one and number two. So uh, this is a big deal, I think. And I, I, I'm not sure where this is going. I was hoping maybe, you know, you had a little, maybe not insight into the negotiation, which of course we don't have, but just from a, a Niners perspective, maybe what the thinking is here, because he's, he's that guy. He is that guy, Lou. Uh, based on, I mean, based on the 49ers, like, conversation and what they're thinking i think the negotiations are are being done behind closed doors and i do think it's gonna get done just because he is the centerpiece of that defense i think he proved that last year just in general what he was able to do the type of season that he had this is a guy that's gonna be you know a top three player on on defense in the NFL for the next five years, if he stays healthy, he's always going to be in the conversation for defensive player of the year. So when you have the centerpiece of the defense, when you have the guy, like the guy on the offensive side, like the quarterback, he is your quarterback on defense. I just, you you got to lock him up. And I think John Lynch and that front office are doing everything possible to get Nick Bosa in camp and to get the deal done. And I do think it's going to get done. I think behind closed doors, it's being worked on, but uh, the asking price isn't low. Uh, Nick Bosa wants to get paid, just like everybody else, because his, you know, he realizes that you know it's his his time in the NFL is short. Um, I just I feel like it's going to get done. I feel like he's he's going to be in there um, by the end of the camp. I think we're going to get something. So, um, like he is the man. You got to lock him up. He is the face of our franchise. He is the guy on that defensive side of the ball that makes it all go. You would think, you know, because, again, they're still not paying a quarterback any any reasonable amount of money. Uh, and that was, I guess, part of the, I guess, construct of the team is to kind of run it that way. And that was, well, that's kind of what they're doing is they're getting ready to pay Nick Bosa this big money. But again, I mean, with any negotiation, his his leverage is, OK, I'm not going to show up. And their leverage is, well, you know, you really don't have any options at this point. I mean, you play out your current deal, whatever, and then, you know, become a free agent and they they're obviously not going to go there. You, you draft these great players, you develop these players to be great, not to just watch them go out the door. So, and he's much, he's much younger than Chris Jones is, but you know, from the chiefs perspective, they don't have like a true, like top end edge rusher. They've got some young guys that, you know, they, they hope are going to develop, but no, like, I mean, and Frank Clark was kind of that guy for a short time, especially in the playoffs, but he's moved on. He's, you know, with the Broncos now. Chris Jones has been just the anchor of that defense, and he's kind of become, you know, if Aaron Donald is still the top inside defensive lineman, Chris Jones is right there. I mean, pretty damn close. So that's what he's looking for. I mean, I think 30 million is, is the number. And I, and I just know from, from kind of watching the way Veach has run things is that, you know, as players get to around this age, he's very leery about extending them out with big dollars. And it happened with Tyreek Hill. Now wide receiver position, a little bit different. They could, you know, obviously they were able to reconstruct their offense a little bit last year and still were highly productive. And that's not an issue. 
but as far as what Chris Jones does for that team, you can almost say like he is the most valuable defensive player, you know, and that's, you know, captain obvious again, but I think he may, uh, outside of Mahomes, now Kelsey's up there too, but I think Chris Jones, I mean, you, you got to get this done. Now, maybe it's a little shorter term deal. You know, Bosa, you know, you might be able to kick out because he is a younger dude. But Chris Jones, I think mean, moving towards 29 years old, I believe, 29 or 30. Obviously, this is his last opportunity to, to, to for a big payday. And he was also a a uh, it was a high second round pick, but it was a second round pick. Um so we'll see, but uh, yeah, it would really, really kind of put a damper on things if this continues for either team into the season and it, it just gets ugly from there. I mean, even if they report, uh, it just, then there's this animosity and you just don't know what the psyche is of the player. So hopefully these, these both get done. One guy got a lot of money, Herbert. Five years, $265 million extension. So he's got two years left on his rookie deal. So he's locked up for the next seven years. Everybody knew this was going to happen at some point. I was a little skeptical because of the Spanos family. and But, but looks like, you know, with guarantees and everything else, I mean, a huge, great deal locked up. So, and that's, you know, okay, next, right? So Joe Burrow, he's next. What's he going to do? You know, they've got some they've got some issues on their offense because T Higgins, you know, he's the number one receiver on any other team in the league. So he's about to get paid. Now, again, second round pick, no fifth year option. So that one's got to get done. Jamar Chase coming up. Question comes up again. How do these teams kind of manipulate the salary cap once you pay your young superstar quarterback how many other guys can you keep uh making top of market at their particular positions and what does burrow do to help the team does he help the team is is he take maybe a little bit less doesn't have to go to you know 55 or 60 million average maybe he gets you know exactly what herbert got or a little bit more two is still out there that's going to be nearly impossible for miami so i don't i don't even see them you know giving him the fifth year option because they just don't know but with Burrow coming up, that's the big one. And now he's injured. So that, that comes into it. I, this is, this is going to get a little, it might get a little dicey because, again, you've got Cincinnati who's not really used to, at least they don't have a reputation of taking care of the players. But here, now again, you've got one of these dudes that's, you know, top two or three in the league at, at his position. And you have him, you drafted him. You got to get this done. So hopefully that one gets done uh, later this summer as well. But what about what do you what do you what can what's Miami's thinking with 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 Tua? You got to wait and see, right? I mean, there's there's no there's no we can't just give him money at this point. No, they got to see what happens this season. Honestly, I mean, there's no way you can extend Tua, and there's no way you can even give him close to what Herbert got, just because he's an unknown commodity. Can he stay healthy for 17 games? I don't think so, but they, they have to see what happens this year. They they have the team, the Dolphins have the team that should be in the playoffs if Tua stays healthy and plays well. But there's no way you can pay him. you got to see that. 
Okay, this isn't Justin Herbert. This isn't Joe Burrow. I mean, this is a wait-and-see situation, and we'll see what happens in this season. But how does Herbert get $52.5 million per year? I mean, he becomes the highest-paid player in the NFL right now. Look, there's no question that the Chargers had to lock him up, but how does Justin Herbert become the highest-paid NFL player? at this point even if it lasts for only a month until joe burrow gets an extension and becomes the highest paid player but herbert has got to win a playoff game low he's got to win it he hasn't done it yet you know he hasn't taken the chargers to the promised land so he still has to live up to that contract it's nice to throw for for big yards and a lot of touchdowns but if you're not winning consistently how can you justify this salary well his age physical ability, what they've seen, what they expect him to do over the next few years, then it's up to them to really keep surrounding him with a great team. But I think for them, it's been more health related. And it's like they can't keep all these guys that they've drafted and they've drafted really well lately healthy. I mean, Rashawn Slater, uh, uh, I mean, you can go go on down the list. I mean, when when they had Khalil Mack and Bosa and Derwin James, and it just these huge injuries. But he's you can tell kind of keeps them afloat, even even with the wide receiver injuries. So hopefully, with Johnston coming in from TCU and Joshua Palmer developing a little bit further, Mike. Williams, if he can stay healthy, Keenan Allen stays healthy. So the pieces are in play. But again, it's like this is where the market is and you can't make sense of it. You know, we talked a little bit about it at a different scale. You know, Daniel Jones, I mean, it's he's what 40 whatever million per year for four years. I mean, that's a huge investment. Uh, you don't know. I mean, is this his ceiling? Is he going to get any better? Whereas I think Herbert, you can kind of see it. He has the physical attributes, not saying that Daniel Jones doesn't, but I think Herbert's are much more uh, refined, a lot more talent, a lot more arm talent, just make some plays that makes you say that he is one of the top talents in the league. And absolutely, he has to win. It's got to come through, regardless of all these other things happening around him. He has to win, and there's no no excuses, especially now that they've laid out this kind of money for him. So, yeah, the next, you said, you know, Burrow, uh, two is not going to get it just because of health reasons or all this, and he'd be catching it, you know, when the, this lottery ticket at this point. And then who's next? I mean, you've got, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, Mahomes is at his average annual per year. Once Burrow signs, is probably going to be like, I don't know, seventh or eighth. What do the you know do the Chiefs then say, or does Mahomes' agent say, okay, well we understand you know this is kind of a team friendly deal. We've got to get him in range here. You know he's the top quarterback in the league. He's got to be at least in the top five, top three even. Uh, and then Trevor Lawrence the following. So yeah, it's just the beat goes on, and they, they whoever comes up next, if they're halfway. Th- just a guy that you feel is your franchise quarterback. This is the market. That's what's going to happen. The next guy gets paid more. Is it right? Eh, eh, probably not. But you know, who else is there? What's what is your alternative? You know, do you okay? Herbert doesn't win any playoff games over the next few years, but he's still one of the top five quarterbacks in the league 
talent wise and production wise, what's your alternative? I don't know. I mean, I think Dallas will be facing that real soon here with, with Dak. I mean, he's kind of reached, maybe he's reached as far as he's going to go, as far as he can take them. Do we pay him again? What's the alternative? Do we go, let's scale back. Let's start this thing over, get a rookie quarterback, rookie deal, build around him. You know, so, you know, what's, and those are big decisions that have to be made. And right now with the guys that have any talent and are viewed as a fran- that franchise's quarterback, next guy gets more than the previous one, just plain and simple. College football, Alex, college football in the news, more musical chairs. The Pac-12 is probably dead at this point. Uh, I, I believe the story out today is official invitations have been made to the University of Washington and the University of Oregon. Uh, Colorado is already split. Uh, USC and UCLA are out. Uh, there is no Pac-12 at this point, and a lot of it has to do with TV money and everything else. But, uh, yeah, I, what are your thoughts? You're a West Coast guy. Uh, I love West Coast football. What, what, what are your thoughts when you, when you hear about that? I know you watch the Pac-12. You're one of those late night guys that, love that stays up and, and watches, you know. Everything, everything's quiet, you know, nothing else going on. I can, you can, I can zone in. It's great. It's, it's a shame. I am a Pac-12 guy. I uh, used to be a Pac-10 guy when, when I went to school. Uh, at the university there, but uh, overall, I mean, the Pac-12 is dead, and there's no way around that. It's it's the result of of what a disappointing and disgusting money grab that I believe is is bad for student athletes and fans all around. So USC and UCLA have moved on, and it seems like everybody else is moving on as well. And it's just it's a shame, Lou. I mean, the Pac-10, the Pac-12 has been around for a long, long time. And it's just, it's splitting now into what? The Big 12, the Big 10, you know, all these teams are leaving. I don't know. I'm going to miss it just because I used to watch. I, I used to live on the West Coast. And I used to watch these these games that weren't as late for me because they started at like 7, 7.30 Pacific time. But it's just, I don't know. I can't stand it. And I just think that overall, the the college football should just break away from these conferences. Why do you need conferences anymore? I mean, what's the point? You just schedule the best games. You know, Alabama can play USC and just travel all around. Why do you need conference games (laughs) in 2023? Why do you need to do it? Well, here's the, well, here's the thing. And I, I think, again, we probably talked about in previous shows that we're just I think the idea at a certain point, I, I guess, if in my mind's eye is there's going to be like and we're mo- obviously rapidly moving towards that three, potentially four super conferences. And it will be more of an NFL model. And maybe even within those conferences, because each of them will have like 20 teams. So you might have like three divisions or however they set it up. And then the playoff system still works. Uh, Some of these teams that are going to be left kind of hanging like an Oregon State, uh, Washington State. uh, I think I don't know what's going to happen with Cal and Stanford. But, you know, San Diego State. Now, perhaps they all 
you know, they all join up in the Mountain West. And if the playoff has, you know, maybe like 12 teams, maybe they jump to 16, and I'm sure they will, that even those teams might actually have a better shot at getting a getting a playoff bid because they can now have an actual opportunity to win that conference championship. Uh, as far as the Big Ten's concerned, I mean, this is just masterful because those late night games are still going to be played, but it's going to be played with the Big Ten flag, if you would. They will own college football from big noon Saturday till 1 a.m. all day. I mean, they'll have at least they, they can have afternoon doubleheaders and evening doubleheaders. And basically from noon to 1 a.m. or 1.30 Eastern sometimes, they can own it and just have their league on display, whether it's now Fox has a piece of it, NBC has a piece of it, and so on. So from the Big Ten perspective, I mean, they're, they can actually overtake the SEC, I believe, because of just the exposure and the fact that with the SEC being more regional, you know, it's hard for them to get – all their big games on where they're not like going against each other because again, you can only play till a certain time. And now the big 10 is going from the New York market with Rutgers all the way West to Oregon, Washington, the two LA schools. So it's it's pretty interesting from that perspective. Let me ask you this. What happens to the rest of the conferences? If we make this, the big three or the big four conferences now, like the Big 12, right. the Big 10, SEC, ACC, what happens to the rest of the conferences? Do we say that this is the premier league now and this is the lower tier league and then it's the FCS? Could, I mean, what are we going to do? They, they, could, they could certainly have relegation. I mean, you know, now we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but, you know, that could certainly happen. Uh, but you would still have, I mean, the ACC would still exist. Like I said, the Mountain West now all of a sudden becomes a real thing. And, you know, you're going to have a 16-team playoff. So maybe the Big Ten gets four or five teams. The Big 12 gets four or five teams. And now you've got these other teams. Now, the, the one that gets a little dicey is like a Notre Dame because they've kind of res- Existed, you know, jumping to a conference, but I got to believe at a certain point, you know, the Big Ten is always saving a spot for them. Do they make that move? You know, they've been kind of flirting with the ACC. They've done it for basketball and the football team plays a bunch of ACC schools, but they're not part of the conference. Um, I think they would go where the money is and the money would be the Big Ten. But the other conferences, actually, this could work a little bit. The ones that get screwed, I think, primarily is going to be FCS because the, with the number of uh, non-conference games, if in fact you even have non-conference games anymore, uh, minimized, you're not going to see uh, FCS schools getting that payday to go, you know, play at Alabama and get waxed 
and, you know, but walk away with like a quarter of a million dollars for your program. Uh, you know, the, the HBCU teams that have kind of gotten a little bit of a come up lately. Uh, but with the transfer portal, and everything, you got a lot of players flowing to these other schools because, you know, they want to play and not sit and ride the bench, at, you know, where they were promised a spot, you know, at power five school. And now all of a sudden they're like, well, Jesus, I'm not going to get the play here. I'm going to go into the transfer portal. And there's so many people in the portal. Maybe they don't get another power five uh, offer, but an FCS school will come calling or an HBCU com- comes calling. So, yeah, I think it's just the change of the landscape. NIL, everything else. Um, yeah, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes from a traditionalist standpoint. It kind of sucks because maybe some of these rivalries get lost. There are still non conference games, and even if they are minimized, you can still have those traditional uh, rivalry games like the Apple Cup. I mean, the Apple Cup is Washington versus Washington State and so forth. So some of these teams can still play each other and still be part of the you know, part of a different conference. Now, again, is it going to be the way it used to be? No. But it, what is anymore? I mean, it's just a, a whole new uh, a whole new way of looking at things. Uh, I think the NCAA tournament in basketball has kind of, you know, is spilling over now a little bit into football because because again, you, you want to crown like a real champion. Uh, you see the same teams every, but again, I don't even think that's going to change much. It's just the road might be a little bit longer and maybe with some attrition, some of these bigger schools don't make it to the finals every year, but uh, odds are those top programs are still going to be the top programs and everybody else is going to be fighting over table scraps. But uh, the bottom line is, uh, I, at least from a viewer standpoint and on a national basis, reasonably, I think it'll lose a little bit as far as college football is concerned. It'll lose a little bit. But from a national perspective and you're what you want to watch games all over, I think it's going to be an improvement. And that's kind of the bottom line. Now, the NCAA has no jurisdiction over any of this. Anytime they go to court, they lose. So I think if these new super conferences decide, okay, we need to get some, some rails here, some rules, some uniform rules. They have a commissioner or I don't know, a group of commissioners from each and they kind of, okay, we set down some rules, you know, how NIL can get distributed, uh, you know, what we're going to do trans, you know, transfers, make things fair, recruiting, you know, what's allowed, what isn't allowed and, and have some, some penalties in place for people that aren't going to follow the rules. But the bottom line is just have some uniformity to it. And hopefully that, makes it a better product for the consumer and that's kind of what they're trying to do and it's all about money that bottom line it's all about money nobody talks about you know coaches getting fired because their graduation rate sucks um and that's just the biggest elephant in the room and nobody gives a crap it's okay how can we make the most money uh how much you know how can the kids make the most money and let's just you know let's just milk this cow for all we can get it's a sad 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 day for a pac-12 fan for a pac-12 alumni it's just that you know the league has been around for 108 years and now it's over that's it they dissolved it 
money, money, money. It's all about the money. It's it, I don't know. I mean, college football is not going to be the same uh, in, in a couple of years. It's just going to be different. I just I want to see how they they balance these four super leagues, as you call it, four super conferences with sixteen or twenty teams. How is that gonna? How is that going to make college football better? That's all I'm saying. Because the little guys are not going to get a sniff of it. The little guys, I mean, the the rest of the conferences. If you're not part, well, if they're of the getting, Super if, three, if they get, if they get playoff bids, or they still use the bowl system, and maybe they do the bowls at the schools, right? Some of these smaller schools might actually, it may actually help them. Because there's no way, you know, Oregon State or Washington State was ever, you know, t- or schools like that, Arizona, Arizona State, maybe they'll have a ch- They'll have a better chance, you know, if they if the Mountain West gets, you know, a bid every year. So at least, you know, once a year, that conference is going to get, you know, playoff money. Whereas now, you know, they're never gonna, you're never going to see one of those teams in the playoff. So, you know, yeah, it's going to be different. But I think if everybody kind of, you know, gives it a chance, let's see how it plays out. I'm excited for it. I really am. Yeah, it's absolutely going to change. Now, I guess my vantage point is I don't have a personal investment in any school or any conference. I didn't go to a big school and school I went to didn't even have a football team. They do now. But anyway, Division two school. So, again, I I get it. You know, if you come from that, you have a little bit more of an investment. It is kind of sad to see things change. And, you know, in this case, may even go away. Now they, you know, will they just play each other in different sports? I'm sure there's a lot of that to to be worked out. Uh, But anyway, I just, from my perspective, from a national perspective, I think the product will actually be viable and actually be really good. And a lot more big games every week uh, instead of, you know, a lot of cupcake games that you see these teams scheduling two and three times. But again, it, it hurts those. Those are the schools that get hurt. F- F- FCS, HBCUs, I think I hit it before, but uh, those are the ones that kind of get hurt in this. But, you know, they'll just have to adapt and, you know, look for revenue streams other ways. But in terms of where the money is and the big time programs, this is just the way it's going to be. And um, hopefully we can all enjoy it and not get too, uh, too sentimental and uh, going back uh, historically because yeah, things are, are, are changing quickly and you know, the playoff is going to be the thing, just like the NCAA tournament becomes the thing. I am a sentimental guy. Well, I just, yeah, I, I am. And I, I feel for you. I, I, if I would have been at one of those schools, I would be too. But yeah. I guess that's it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, a lot of college football talk here today. That kind of news came up and it had been being talked about, you know, for the last few days. But uh, I think some of the official things have happened. I think you're going to see the Arizona schools jump to the Big 12 now. You might see Utah jump to the Big 12. I know the Big 12 would love to have uh, Connecticut from a basketball perspective. Uh, So you might see that move. So a lot of wild stuff happening in, in college athletics 
Uh, as far as the NFL is concerned, which we concern ourselves with for the most part, uh, we're zooming into next week. Uh, everybody will be playing their first uh, preseason games and maybe some of these uh, some of these vets that are still waiting, uh, still waiting for their phone to ring is uh, might get signed. So for my friend Alex, I'm Lou. Until next time. Peace.